Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, uh, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and it's, it's a real pleasure to have with me here live, at, at least in person, at the, at the connection, uh, Dr. Janelle Davison. And Dr. Davison is owner and CEO of Brilliant Eyes Vision Center in Smyrna, Georgia, not too far from, from where I'm at. And she's also the owner and clinical director of Premier Dry Eye Spa and Cosmetic Eye Care. How have you been? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me. It's excited. Great to see you here. So you and I, I just asked you what the name of the title of your presentation was for a reason, because that's what, what really I want to dig into is looking beyond dry eye. So you did a uh, course yesterday called the intersection of dry eye and beauty. What, what was the rest of it called? And how to build and brand a profitable dry eye spa. A dry eye spa. Mm -hmm. So that takes me where, where I want to go with the uh, with this talk, because there's a lot of ODs that that have embraced the dry eye model and, and, and building a brand around around dry eye, but there's a lot of new terms that have come into that space. Things like spa, cosmetic, aesthetic, beauty. And it, it seems like that's creating a an expansion of that area of dry eye and, and also a lot of new opportunities for for ODs. And, and some might not even be sure what all that means uh, in terms of the dry eye. Can you provide some, some detail or some clarity for those wondering, what are these terms, spa, aesthetic? How, how does that, how have you built that into your practice? And so that's a good question. Um, it took me a few years to help compartmentalize those things myself. And I think patients are still trying to figure out what all that means. And one of the big part of my talks is um, I talk about like optometry aesthetics. And so basically it's anything that you're doing that's non-surgical based because optometrists, most states were not able to do surgery. That's gonna enhance the vision, the ocular tissue um, around the periorbital tissue around the eye. And so anything that you're doing that is gonna treat an eye disease, but at the same time may offer an aesthetic benefit is a place where optometrists can have a specialty that they'll be able to extend from dry eye services. Um, comprehensive eye care for optometrists include vision, so the refractive component, the eye health, so we're still screening and managing glaucoma and diabetes, but also we have another component that sometimes we forget about, the anti-aging, the cosmetic component. I've been practicing 17 years now, 14 of that in private practice, so that means my patients have been aging with me, and I'm aging, so I don't look the same as I did when I first started that journey um, 14 years ago as private practice, and neither do my patients. We kind of jokingly come in, oh, we got a little gray hair coming in, oh, you look this way, I see a few wrinkles. And so I started to get those questions, you know, are there any things that I can do? I have the circles underneath my eyes, the wrinkles around my eyes, uh, my eyes are dry. If my eyes are dry, can I still wear makeup? And so it's a, just a natural extension. And so I had some patients, you know, ask me questions and it forced me to do some research. And then the natural question afterwards was, well, doctor, where can I get this? And then one question that really probed me was, well, why don't you offer these services in your office? And I didn't have an answer as to why I didn't offer it. There was nothing saying that I couldn't offer it. There was nothing saying that I couldn't offer cosmetic products out in my optical. I have a whole retail where I sell boutique glasses. Why can't I sell makeup and mascara out there? There was nothing saying that as I'm treating eye disease, if they're getting aesthetic benefit, that I can't provide those services. So I just kind of went back and sat down and figured out how I can provide the space in my office, how to get more trained and more comfortable, um, and just realized that aesthetics is a natural extension of your practice and includes the comprehensive eye care and many dry eye services that you're providing. You're already giving the patient aesthetic benefits. Mm -hmm. So 
Each state is different, correct? Exactly. In terms of where would someone find out? How could you take a deeper dive? Because there's a lot of uh, that one state could have different exactly. laws, correct? Most states are similar to Georgia. I say you talk to your state board. When I first decided that I want to dig a little bit deeper, bring in more pieces of equipment, I went directly to the state board. Um, our state or my state, Georgia, is pretty explicit. It's long as you're treating a ocular surface disease, including anything around the periorbital tissue, right? So if I'm treating my bowling gland dysfunction, dry eye disease, and that particular device offers an aesthetic component, then that's a secondary benefit. But I can't lead with, I'm gonna cure your wrinkles. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna make you look 10 years younger because then I'm, a, I'm an optometrist. And so, but my treatments are gonna give you some extended benefits. Um, so I encourage you to know your laws before you bring in these equipments, as well as know your patient database. A lot of the equipment that you bring in, some of them cannot be used on all patient demographics. So you don't wanna have a subset of your patients that you have these grand services that you can't even offer the services to. So I encourage you to check your laws. Um, most states are pretty, there may be a little bit of gray, but as long as you're treating a disease, then that's usually how you want to approach it that is within your scope of practice. So I'll, I'll ask you to look into your crystal ball mm -hmm. for a minute. Do you see the laws changing in favor of eye care? Is, this, is, is anyone fighting for the laws to, uh, to advance in our favor? Is it just one of these areas that's so new that, that don't really know, that the powers that be don't really know how much uh, authority to give optometry? Where, where do you see this going? Because there's a lot of interest in, in this area. That's a great question. Um, in my talk, you know, this is, I've done this talk now about a half a dozen times. So last year I said, how many people have an IPO? Few people raised their hands. This year, like 30, 40% of the class raised their hand. So I think it's the latter. I think that this is a space that is growing very rapidly. There is gray area. I think leadership is gonna be forced to take a look and see how this really fits into the optometric space. Some states have been on the very forefront of it and really put direct laws in regarding IPL and what you can and cannot do. And some states are still kind of riding in that gray. But I think in the next, before five years, I would say in the next two and a half to three, that most doctors across the country are gonna have some light-based device and the leadership is gonna have to figure out where and how this fits. Um, you know, a lot of the devices that we're bringing in, especially if you're treating it on a disease state, for instance, I have some dermatologists that can do IPL, but they don't do it for treating eye disease, so around the eye. So their, their levels of the device that they're used can't be safe around the eye, but they'll refer patients to me to treat their dry eye disease. So we have patients who are getting IPL services for aging around the, the cheek and the chin and the forehead, but I'm directly dealing with their, with their eyes. And so there is gonna be that overlap. And then I think as a profession, we're gonna really have to be forced to kind of really look and see, you know, how does this fit into optometry? Because doctors are seeing the benefit for patients and ways to grow their practice and they're jumping right in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely a, a trend worth, uh, worth keeping your eye on, especially if you're already treating the dry, but that's an interesting point was this overlap. You mentioned IPL, and when it comes to aesthetics, that seems to be the one mm -hmm. that I keep hearing about. And like you said, it's um, a lot of the laws require you to stay stay in your the lane, lane exactly. around the eye. And I think a lot of ODs honestly wish, uh, I could do the cheeks, mm -hmm. and I wish I could uh, go deeper into that. But um, I, so IPL seems to be a big component of this, but just equipment, what have you invested in, or what would you say others would need to look at investing in, in terms of equipment or technology to be able to offer a similar brand as you? That's a good question. I would say start small and then build from there. 
these pieces of equipment are an investment. You know, what I hate to hear is doctors who spend 75, sometimes up to $150,000 on a piece of equipment and it sits in a corner. Because this is new to doctors, new to patients. So a lot of these things that you're offering, especially if you're coming from the aesthetic angle, the patient is looking at you like, uh, you're my eye doctor, what are mm -hmm. you talking about? I don't do facials with you, uh -huh. you know? I have my person that I go to for that. But if you're coming from a disease state, and what I usually do is so, you know, I'm coming from a disease state and oh, by the way, as we're going through this treatment, you may have family and friends who say, what are you doing? You look different, you look good. And you can just say, I'm getting my dry eye treated, mm -hmm. right? And so I usually say, start small. So you pictures are worth a thousand words. So you have to have something that's gonna be able to show the patient the disease state. And then after you treat it, retake pictures and so that things are better. Um, it's very hard to convince somebody to do something if you're just looking in, but they can't see it themselves, especially in regards to dry eye. So I'm big on a mybographer. I would say definitely start there. Make sure you have a mybographer. So that way you can image the mybobian glands because many of these dry eye treatments are addressing the mybobian glands. And we know now from research that about 80 to 85% of patients that have dry eye disease is evaporative and it's coming from mybobian gland dysfunction. So you definitely need a device that is gonna image the mybobian glands and it's something that may target that treatment specifically. We also do know a lot of patients that have mybobian gland dysfunction also have ocular rosacea. So the light-based devices, which is the IPO, it works on both. It's kind of like your trifecta. It's going to work on your oil glands. It's going to reduce the inflammation secondary to ocularization. But then it also is going to have to help with Demodex. It has a bacteriostatic component. So I would definitely say if you're going to have an IPO, you definitely need to have a mybographer. And then another way to be able to show that inflammation is improving as you're treating that disease state. So you want to be able to take anterior photos because you have to image the ocularization. And then also I would say you want to have a diagnostic test that maybe screens for inflammation like um, MMP9 testing and Flamadry. And so some of those are more of investment than others. There are pieces of equipment where you can do all those things in one. Um, I have a device that for diagnostic testing that pretty much does all of those. It does my biography, my anterior photos, um, interferometry, tear meniscus height. You hear all these tests that we're, some of them we're not used to doing on a regular basis that you can easily do in one device and even delegate it to a staff if you want. And then you just need to be able to have something to treat it with. And then you just kind of build from there because it can be costly and you don't want to invest in things that sit in the corner. Mm -hmm. I was joking in my lecture that some of you in here have basically a whole Tesla sitting in the corner that you're not using. You know, you're investing, you're going to get a bill. I hope you're not using cash to use that. You should be financing that. But you're getting that bill monthly and then each time it sits there, you lose confidence on being able to treat and manage those disease states. So I'm always curious with somebody who's been successful in any particular specialty or area of eye care, how that conversation goes with the patient. Because I, I think a lot of people, to your point of investing in something that just collects dust, right? I, I think the intention was well, a doctor wanted to use it, they intended to use it, they know somebody else who's been successful with it, but for whatever reason, it just collected dust in their practice. And, and you look at different reasons, I think some healthcare professionals are more effective at the, the conversation with the patient. Mm -hmm. So if I'm coming in, I've never heard of these things before, and you're going to have a conversation with me, I'm, maybe I've got vision insurance, I'm thinking $10 copay. How does that conversation go if you think I'm somebody who would benefit from these services? That's a good question. That's nothing that you can do right out the gate. You know, that was even hard for me in the beginning. You know, I'm a healthcare provider, you know, I don't sell, I don't talk price, but in reality, as a healthcare provider, you do have to talk some level of price with the patient. 
But I just want to back up a little bit. I think a lot of the reason that things sit is because poor planning. You know, I, I'm a true visionary. So I'll see something, I'll get excited, and I want to jump all in. But you have to have somebody in the practice that says, oh, back up. Make it make sense. Make that math math. And so I've been forced. Um, my CFO is actually my husband, who is an engineer. I've been forced that I get excited, but I have to go learn how to sit on an Excel spreadsheet to figure out if I'm going to spend X dollars, how many patients do I need to see per week, per month? So I do per month, and then that may seem, oh, my God. Then I'll break that down. Okay, a week, a day. How many people do I need to evaluate or do an imaging on to cover you know, the monthly cost? And I build from there. And so I actually have a plan so that I come in each week knowing, okay, if I'm going to have this piece of equipment, that monthly bill is coming in, I need to have this many patients that I see per month or at least this many evaluations. So you have to have a way to evaluate. And then what's your capture rate from the evaluate to convert to a treatment? Because not everybody that you evaluate and they may be a great candidate for a treatment is going to opt to do a treatment. So you have to have a plan. I think once you have a plan, you'll be more confident to go into the exam room. And then once you have those devices to help you show the patient a disease state, disease state, then you're not selling. You're saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I'm concerned. I specialize in dry eye and optometry aesthetics, and this is what I think will work great for you. And you write on a treatment plan. So I verbally give them a treatment plan. Then I actually step out of the exam room and I have resources, little pen pads. I'll write down stuff real quick and say, this is your treatment plan. And then by the way, this is the price. And it's not covered by insurance. It's not just your insurance. Nobody's sure it's a composite, but this is the price. We do offer ways for you to be able to break down that price, but this is the price. And I'm gonna have my team member discuss further with you. And I just walk out the room. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'll come back and I'm like, did they schedule? You know, so sometimes I'm bad 100. Sometimes they say, oh no, they're gonna think about it. But once you plant the seed and if you give them something to walk away with, a lot of times people do have to go talk to a spouse or a partner before they can make those big financial decisions. But I would say a good 90% of the time, my patients call back and they schedule. And so now I've learned where less is more. I tell them the price, and most of the time they're like, okay. And I'm sitting there like, you heard me say it was $1,200, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So do I sign up today? And I'm like, so I learned to don't talk myself out of it. Mm -hmm. Show them what you're doing. Show them what the disease state is, what you have to offer, and why you think it's something that needs to be done within this time frame. And then just let them decide. Mm -hmm. Usually they will. If you've made a strong case, I think then it becomes easier. We went out with a group of people a while back, probably a year or so ago in Atlanta, out to eat. And I remember you saying, I, I'm really surprised how many people. It, it was, uh, I think, eye-opening even yeah. to you. Because you don't know going in, when we're charging a high-ticket service, how many people are actually going to say yes to that. But I think it really speaks, too, to the, the demand for the service, but also your ability to communicate it as well. But I remember you saying uh, how many people... Um, were bought in once once we got to that point. Now, I, I heard this before, and it's hard to do sometimes, but don't over-defend your price. Just put it out there. The more you try to explain why it's worth that, the less uh, people trust what you're what you're offering. So it, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. This is what it's worth. You know, I've explained the value, and, and just let it be. Yep. Yeah, and just walk out, and you'll be surprised. And even if they don't that day, and that's a big investment. Sometimes the ones that sign up that day, I'm kind of like, okay. But most people have to go home and discuss and plan and then call back. And that's fine. But as long as you're planting that seed, and some people may not even do it that year. Mm -hmm. They'll come back the next year. So I'll offer dry screenings, and I'll have to come back next year and then screen again. And I'll say, well, there's no need to keep screening. You've been diagnosed with dry eye disease. We know you have it. You just have to decide when you want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh. And I've had a patient say, okay. And she finally did. We did her IPO session. And then after that, she said, my goal is I want to get back into contacts. She's back in her daily lens and says she's happy. 
but it took us almost a year and a half to two for her to get there. But I never wavered on my price and what I thought her treatment plan was. She had to decide when the value was for her to be being invested in her overall item. But how many people come in and, you know, I think sometimes our own reluctance to talk about price gets in the way. Sometimes we get in the way, but how many people come in and say, I wish somebody else would have offered this to me years ago, right? It happens a lot. And so, and, and you know, as we were talking before about how IPL, a lot of doctors, patients are savvy nowadays and they're researching. And I get so many what I call self-referrals <clears throat> where they're being treated by colleagues in my area who are not listening to them or don't have the other services, which is fine, you need to know when to refer, that they're not getting better. So they're going online and they're researching. And I'm a smart business person, so I wanna make sure if you're researching for this that particular service that you're gonna find me. And I have patients driving to me because they're saying, hey, I've been treated and managed and I'm just not getting better. And I know IPL is an option for dry eye, or I know low light level therapy, tear care, whatever it is for dry eye is an option. And I see that you provide those services. I always start with a comprehensive evaluation for dry eye because I don't start off anybody else because usually there's some gap. If you're not getting better, there's some gap that hasn't been filled. And I say, you know, I'm like, you guys, if, even if you don't have it, you have to be speaking to the patient about these services and at least find a place to refer them. Because I used to do that before I brought these devices in. I would send it to a colleague who had Lipaflow years back when it was like 80,000. I was new in practice. I couldn't afford those things, but I treated to my ability, referred, and the doctor was sent back. But what's happening, a lot of these patients, you're lo losing them because they're self-referring themselves. Then I get the doctor's name and I'm like, once I get you healthy, you, know, you make sure you go back for your routine care. And so patients are getting savvy. So we're really gonna have to step up what we're doing, how we're talking to our patients and how we're managing them because we'll lose them. Um, it's more than just glasses and contact lenses. I sell those things all day long, but if their ocular surface is not healthy, that you'll get so many rechecks. A lot of patients will be coming back, I can't, I can't see you, what's going on? You're getting frustrated. And a lot of it's just the ocular surface is not healthy. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about exam efficiency. So two of the, the biggest challenges that I'll hear from ODs in terms of, in many cases, their inability to promote uh, a specialty or make it a more meaningful part of their practice. One you've already addressed. There's this this aversion to not even want to feel like we're selling anything. And I, I think that sometimes holds people back and you've explained how you address it in a way that doesn't come across as salesy or feel salesy to you. The other one is time. A lot of people will say, I wish I had more time to talk to patients about this, but I'm. it's everything. I, I, I spend so much time just doing routine care that I don't feel like I have time to talk about the myopia management, the dry eye, whatever. Uh, other service you're you're wanting to to make a more meaningful part of your practice. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was doing a podcast with you probably know Dr. Selena yeah. McGee, mm -hmm. and I asked her that very question, and she said, which really got me thinking about exam efficiency. And she said, very rarely will you find me just talking to a patient and not doing something. I, I'm going through the exam. I'm asking the questions. I'm informing. I'm educating. I'm learning from them. I'm sharing. And I make sure, she used the word succinct, mm -hmm. but she's like, I also have a handout I give them at the end if they want to go home and read stuff. And my staff is highly trained. So how have you worked this into your office flow when, when time is a factor? We, in many practices, they, they might be with the patient for 10, 15 minutes, mm -hmm. maybe less in a very busy practice. So how do you handle that in your practice? Yeah, that's a, a battle that um, just over time I've been able to perfect. I did listen to that podcast and I was like, yeah, I agree. You know, most of the time I'm like the same thing. I'm talking and doing something at the same time. 
But I do utilize my paperwork a lot. And so I do have a lot of opt-in screening services that are in the paperwork. We're all so used to having opt-in for photos, for retina, you know, eye wellness. But why can't you have an opt-in screening for dry eye? And so if you have these devices that'll have you quickly do tests, to at least put them in a pass, fail, normal, abnormal, then you can bring them back if you want. Um, so pre-testing is another place. I utilize my, um, my technicians a lot. We have a lot of visual things on the wall so that patients may come in and not realize some of the symptoms that they have is dry eye. And they see that and they're like, oh, that's me. Uh, I, and then the tech is, okay, we'll make sure you talk to the doctor. We do some other ocular screening things. We do an OSDI on a tablet, make just really quick. So when the um, technicians are putting in data, they can go through the tablet and do their ocular surface index score. And that gives me a baseline of how they're, they're feeling. A lot of times, that way they feel sometimes can translate to some early dry eye. And so you really do have to go figure out what works for your practice because what works for Dr. Selena McGee, what works for me or someone else may not work for your practice. In reality, you may have to slow your practice down a little bit. If you're really truly interested in dry eye aesthetics, I definitely believe the long-term benefit is work slowing down maybe one exam slot. So that way, okay, you book your evals in this slot. So that way you have the time because I've told my, my husband, he helps run the, the, the operation side. Right now, my dry eye patients are very valuable and I'm willing to lose one or two routine exams mm -hmm. for that one dry eye slot, right? So I'm willing to talk 30 minutes because I know that conversion is gonna outweigh a lot of times if somebody's gonna go 50% buy something in my optical because in reality, the capture rate is less than 50%. No matter what you do, there's so many things against us in the optical at this point. Patients have choices. They've really, really gotta wanna purchase with you. Where I have a, 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 a specialty that right now is very valuable to the practice. And I'm willing to give up a slot or even two because I know my conversion rate is really good, right? And so now I've gotten more referrals. I'm speaking more. I have more patients in my database. So if that patient comes in, it's that they, they want to talk to me. I'm the expert. That's going to be easy conversion. And then that's going to be a patient that's going to be a lifer in the practice. Well, once you get them better, they don't want to go back. So if you have your recall, I think you see you every six months or once a year, and you see your optometrist in between. I just had a patient, she said, oh, I went to my other optometrist, got my glasses updated, and now I'm here for my six months dry eye check with you. That's gonna be a reoccurring patient for you. And that's gonna be a referring patient for you. So in the beginning, sometimes it says, well, I say start slow and go big, because you may have to carve out a just smaller portion of your schedule that's dedicated to that specialty that you wanna bring in and just grind for six months. I'm a big believer in six months give it six months grind hard and six months of planting seeds and watering it you're going to reap the benefits in 12 to 18 months usually in 12 months usually you're like wow i remember where i had one evaluation the whole month now it's to the point it's like oh i mean you know i'm getting a lot of evaluations like i really got to get my schedule together because i have three four ipos on one day tier care is mixed in between and i'm constantly adding and learning so start slow grow big See what's gonna work for your practice, have a plan, and of course, train your staff. And a lot of things I write down, like I just don't necessarily give a pamphlet, I give a treatment plan. And so I use another, um, uh, it's called Dry Eye Rescue, and they help give you these little treatment plan tear-offs, mm -hmm. right? So I go in, I step out real quick, I write things down, and then I give it to the patient. And I've gotten so good that I can even tell by body language that, yeah, this person is gonna sign up when my tech comes in. This person, yeah, they'll probably be back in a month. This person has got to get real bad. Some people, they got to really just fall, right? Where it's just like, okay, I've hit the fan. I'm just completely not comfortable at this point, And then they'll be back. And you have each 
each patient is going to be in those categories. And so you're not going to be able to cover everybody. But right now, my dry eye slots, my aesthetic slots are a lot more valuable to my practice. And so you just kind of have to see what works for your practice. I, I think the six month to 12 month is really interesting because I think maybe that's where a lot of people give when we talk about technology mm -hmm. that's just collecting dust. I think maybe doctors give up a little bit too quickly. A few, a few fails, yeah. a few patients say no, a few price objections, and then it becomes, well, this doesn't work. Yeah, I have a good one because I brought in a new device at the end of the year. And most of the reps that work with me, they know that I really research. I really research. I make sure I have a plan. And if I call and say, I'm ready, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, let me get down there now, <laughs> you know, because I've been talking to Dr. Davidson for like three years. And so I brought in this device. I was really excited about it. I felt like it was going to be a great addition to my dry eye practice. I just was going to be great for patients. And I was like batting zero out of 10. Like everybody I told about it would say, I thought you were a candidate. Just nobody would sign up. You know, I'm like, well, what is going on? I'm like, you know, I think this is going to be a great benefit. I'm showing them the my biographies, just batting zero out of 10. Then all of a sudden, but I never backed down. I never changed my pitch. I never, I never wavered because I got some rejections and a lot of rejections in a row. And then the rep was called me, how's it going? Have you done any yet? I'm like, yeah, I did one. And it was like on a staff mm. member, you know, I've had a paying patient yet. And then all of a sudden, I went, you buy, I bought 10 leads at one time. By a month later, I was calling her to reorder, mm -hmm. right? So, but if I had backed down that first two weeks, three weeks, that everybody was like, no, I'll think about it, didn't schedule, then I would say, well, that device doesn't work, you know, and I'll put it in a corner. So you have to be persistent and steadfast and don't be so quick to change um, your pitch. Mm -hmm. If you know it's going to work, if you research, then you just haven't reached the right patient or a patient that's found the value. But at the same time, you have planted that seed. Mm -hmm. And so that patient, maybe that patient, the category is over here where they've got to really hit the fan before they decide, okay, I'm going to invest in myself, invest in my overall eye health. And I just went from zero to now I'm, I'm reordering it halfway through that already. It took about 60 days, but the first two weeks, it was rough mm -hmm. because even my staff was like, wow. Everybody's like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe I made a bad decision. And I'm like, no, I researched. I knew this. I know it's going to be great. The results are going to be great. And they have been. But I just got to keep going and just make sure I reach. I got to wait for the right patient. Mm -hmm. You're also learning a lot in that six to 12 months in terms of what works and what doesn't. Exactly. How do I present this to a patient? Uh, how do I deal with the objections? And who is my, my target market? It's probably not that everybody was saying no. It's just that maybe the market in your mind was too big at the time. But exactly. you start to narrow that down, right? And you start to recognize who is going to be most interested, who is going to see the most value from that. It's probably like any other business or service, right? Definitely. Um, you mentioned something before I'll ask you to expand on a little bit is the staff training component, because mm -hmm. I'm sure you want this to be a consistent experience uh, for a patient as they go through and the staff to be educated. I'll share a quick story about myself on a smaller scale, but I remember this point when I was practicing and I, the pretest room was right outside in the NCT and the, the tech would do mm -hmm. the NCT. And a lot of times I would hear patients ask, what does this do? What does this check for? And the answer that they would get from my tech would be, I'm not sure, just ask the doctor. That was my fault. Yeah. I never explained it to her, but I didn't like that, how that answer sounded to the patient. To me, it just felt like, well, we should probably know that. They mm -hmm. should be able to ask questions like that and get an answer. So I just took some time and explained to her what it was, what it checked for, what the normal numbers were, so that at least she could speak to it. And of course, I could expand on it with the patient if they had more questions. How do you handle staff training with your staff? It's got to be more than one discussion because this is pretty complex and you're not training them to be mini ODs, but at the same time, I'm sure you want them to be able to speak confidently and competently about this. 
So I have a dedicated person. You should have a dedicated person, but the whole staff, including opticians, whoever, whoever's in the daily office should be trained, or at least have a broad knowledge. So when I bring in a device, it's like I'm pretty, I'm pretty system. I may research it. I train myself first. So they're doing double trainings. I'm like, nope, nobody's going to be on it. It's just going to be me and you, right? Because I need to make sure I understand what we're doing, not just passing it off to anybody else. And then I have them schedule a staff training and I make everybody come in for the lunch and learn. So for instance, I brought in tear care by site sciences um, and the, she came out and trained the entire office. So I had my husband who was a COO out there, the opticians, the techs, myself, we're all sitting here learning about what this device is, the benefit of the device and how it works. And she ever ran a demo on a staff member. Then she came back and only trained the individuals who were going to be doing the tests directly. So I do that for everything that's in my office. So even if I bring in a, I care if I bring in Oculus, if I bring in, you know, a way to measure PD, whatever I do, it's I understand what's being involved, even though I may not be administering the test. I bring in the entire office and then now you're going to come back and just train those key people. Right. So that way, if they're in the optical and, you know, it's pretty powerful if your optician has had a treatment. You know, mm -hmm. so for instance, you're buying glasses and they was like, oh, the doctor said I dry eye and they're recommending this one particular treatment. I'll teach like, oh, I had it. And they're like, what? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I had it done. I had dry eye as well. And uh, my eyes have been feeling so much better. And so now as a patient, it's like, wow, this is not the tech that's telling me this. This is the optician who mm -hmm. said that she has dry eye and they're actually managing her dry eye with the same treatment recommendation that the doctors recommended for me. So I have that cycle for everything. And you're representatives, they want you to be successful. And so a, time, a lot of times the doctors don't have a plan. It's like, yeah, we have this, just get people trained, mm -hmm. right? And so the doctor's not trained or the doctor's trained, everybody else is not trained. You have the people out front that have no idea what piece of equipment just brought in, but it needs to be that many people, that many trainings to make sure that everybody at least has an idea of what's been brought in, what's the benefit and what the doctor does. So my staff now, they're like, our doctor is the dry eye person. Mm -hmm. At one team member, she was out like getting her nails done. And she was talking to someone and telling them about their dry eye. Another person turned around and said, that's me. Where's your doctor located? And seriously, she came in, she got an evaluation and we started treatment and I have a whole treatment plan for her, but she came back after just getting initially involved and said, this is the best my eyes have looked in four years. And I said, well, we're not done. We still have room to go. She said, doctor, whatever you want me to do. Mm -hmm. And it was at a nail place, right? So when you have advocates, and she said, your staff member was the biggest advocate for you. And she was an optician, mm -hmm. another optician. So then your staff being involved, knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're impacting lives of patients, they'll be out there just referring patients and getting patients for you just as much as another OD would be referring a patient to you. I think that's so powerful when the staff can speak to it at that level. And so, I mean, it's a great point. If you've got a staff member who would benefit from it, it can really speak with, with a level of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. They're not just picking up on the education. Because how many people leave, no matter what you say, and it probably happens more often than you even, you know it or, or I knew it, but they, they listen to you and they nod their head, but then they get outside the room and they go up to, to a staff member and they say, uh, Dr. Davison said I needed this. Do I really, you know, do I really need this? But when you've got a staff member who can say, look, I had it done. It, it works. It's mm -hmm. something you definitely want. It, it gives them, maybe it's that social proof or um, I, I think it builds a lot of trust within the, um, you know, when the staff can deliver that as well. One last question here in terms of finding the, the patients. Is this something that, maybe this is a two-part question, 
are you getting most of your patients internally? You've already, and I, I, you've already partly answered that. You know, I, mm -hmm. but to what degree are you, are these somebody looking to expand on their dry eye services? How much of that would come internally, and how much in your case is coming externally? And maybe part two of this question is marketing to reach people outside of the practice. How have you handled marketing and brand building? So that's a that's a really good question. So in the beginning, I rooted my database. I pulled all of my codes and. That was the hardest conversion, my current database. And I think a lot of times it's like, your, you know, your family sometimes are the worst patients, the people that uh, who know you the longest. You know, sometimes they're harder to convince. I thought, oh, I got all these patients, you know, I'm, I'm going to be golden. And they are, are and still are the hardest pool, right? It's the patient that's just used to routine exam, you know, not, you know, Sometimes the patients, they want you to grow, but they don't want you to grow, you know. And so I did root my database. I had a lot. But honestly, most of my dry eye evaluations are really my new patients coming in who are researching and looking. They have symptoms. And they may start because they're not sure, but schedule a routine exam but because I can capture, have ways to screen and then move from there. Um, external referrals with optometrists. And then other eyelid health professionals, chiropractors are a big referral. Because um, a lot of patients who come in for dry eye are being treated by chiropractors and they may tell their story to the chiropractor and I have like random chiropractors. They're like, oh, she's a dry eye person. You need to go to her as well. Um, dermatologists. And so a lot of mine are external. Um, and I'm getting more of the current database, but don't be shocked if you run your database and you have all these patients, all these codes and you're sending emails and you're just like, you're going to easily pull from that. You might get three. Most of them are going to be externally. And so if you're going to get a lot of external push, you need to make sure that you have a good website, good social um, uh, SEO, um, and then a good way for them to, once they're on the website, to really know that that's what you do, right? So if you say you're a dry eye specialist and you do aesthetics and all these things, but they go to the website, all they see is glasses and talking about, you know, something that you don't do regularly. Um, my website is pretty clear that that's what we do, right? And then externally, you know, think outside the box. You know, one, I do a lot of articles for in the industry. I made sure, you know, first started, I, you know, three years ago, you know, if you weren't in Georgia area, you probably didn't know who I was, you know, but I said, this is what I want to do. And I want to create myself as an expert. You know, how else to do that and have my colleagues who trust me as well. So I wouldn't see, okay, how can I contribute my knowledge, whether I'm writing, whether I'm speaking. And I take those same things and on local papers, I write for local editorials. Um, I will do podcasts, things like this with people who may not have anything to do with eye care. So that way I'm just constantly getting out. This is what I do. How do you look for dry eye? And if you may be suffering, this is somebody that you need to go to. And then I've even gone as far as I've had billboards. You know, I really think outside the box. And it's just about exposure. So that way, if people see, I saw a billboard and that, you know, you said something about dry eye and that's what I had. And I saw your billboard while I was pumping gas, right? And so next, you know, they end up in my office. So you have to be very creative about how you want to get your name out there. But don't be shocked if your database is not like, oh, great, let me call her now. If your phone doesn't start off the hook, it's going to be a lot of people who externally first. And then those people in your database will start to see, oh, okay, she does do this. You know, she's getting all these. It's hard for me to get in. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to look more at that and what, what that doctor has to provide for me as well, outside of glasses and contact lenses. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes jot down notes when people are talking, and you probably can't read my chicken scratch, but you mentioned right there outside the box. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'll, I'll embarrass you here a little bit, but I, I really admire something it takes to do what you've done when you say, because it's a heavy investment some into some of this equipment, into that brand, into the marketing, but to have the patience and 
the persistency to go that six months, to go that 12 months, it, it, I think it requires a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. And that's something I, I really admire with what you've done with your practice. And, and I think um, that can be definitely inspirational to a lot of other doctors that are maybe afraid to make that leap. But to see you come out on the other side uh, successfully, it's, it's why I wanted you to, to come on and, and share your story. So where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm on social media. I'm on all the social media handles uh, at Dr. Janelle O.D. So I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. And then you can always email me. I'm usually very receptive. Um, if it takes me a bit to respond, give me patience. I do have two kids, a lot of stuff that I'm doing, but I'm usually very um, receptive. And then I also have a website that you can go to as well, the dryeyementor.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Davidson. You got to talk today where you'll continue this yeah. wealth, sharing this wealth of knowledge. So. So thanks again. It was great seeing you. So glad you could make it here at the at the connection, and you have a chance to to share on this podcast and and with the membership as well. So so thank you, and thank everyone for listening. If uh, anyone would like more information about IDoc and how we work with practices to help them grow their practices, you can find out more at idoc.net. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.